0: Episode 20 of Running Matters. Uh, Scotty Hawker, thanks for joining us. I uh, appreciate you giving up your time and driving down from, from Blackheath. We're at uh, the Carrington Hotel in, in Katooma, and there's a bit of a buzz in the air. Um, it's the registration day for Six Foot Track, and the Six Foot Track Marathon is on tomorrow morning, so uh, it's very exciting. Um, have you done Six Foot
1: Track before, Scotty? No, no. It's um, I guess it's on the to-do list. Yeah, I, sort of, I get to probably November, December every year and think oh, I'm going to give six foot a go this year and then, yeah, it just hasn't quite happened yet. It's, yeah. um, it's a tricky time of year for me. Just, um, yeah, I mean, I think if I'm going to... When I do, do six foot, I wanted to give it a good honest prep and, you know, go into as a focus race rather than just kind of, you know, rock up and, you know, see what happens kind of thing. So, um, yeah, normally January, February is a you know, pretty sort of busy time with travel and stuff, so, um, yeah, it's still it's not going anywhere, so, yeah, one day for sure. It's in the pipeline. Yeah.
0: Very good. I might just thank our uh, partners, Filter Brewing, Goo Energy, uh, Guy Mir Allied Health and SwimGuard. Um, before we go on, uh, I've got a, um, an amazing sort of resume printed out here that you've, you've completed um, and, you know, you've had some unbelievable outcomes in races and I might ask you to read out your, your results from uh, 2014. Uh, but uh, you must be really proud of this CV when you when you look at it. What, what do you what do you what are your, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I guess when you put anything on paper, it kind of sometimes looks a certain way. And yeah, oh, it's, it's definitely been great. Last you know, sort of what would have been, now? Uh, nearly off the fifth year, I guess. But um, yeah, it's funny because there's probably I don't know. There's probably maybe three races in there that felt like they were actually kind of half decent races, which I guess any any athlete can say that, but um, yeah, I guess it's cool to have on paper and to sort of reflect back on. But um, there's definitely a lot of yeah a lot of improvement to do and other races to go. So um, yeah, I guess starting twenty fourteen, which does seem like a lifetime ago now, it's crazy how much you can pack into five years, but uh yeah the Tata were at Ultra New Zealand, um, that was the year it was the I think it was the Cycling Lucy course, which was shortened, so, um, yeah, it was our fifth place there. Um, yeah, done solitary a couple of times. Um, first place in 2014, second in 2016, and actually second equal with Greenie last year. We held hands across the finish line. So oh, really? There you go. Cool. Um, yeah, 2015 Ultra Easy 100K, uh, first place. Um, Labrador, yeah, definitely a favorite race of mine. Um, been back, to. Yeah, far too many times. I see, um, Yeah, I see. You yeah it's, the same deal. It's sort of, um, I guess, it's like kind of planning the race calendar each year, and I kind of look at, you know, what I could maybe do, and I just keep getting drawn back to Laborator and Cortina with the with the races. It's just, I mean, the Dolomites are just epic, so um, yeah, it's a good place to get back to. So I've been uh, fifth place and you know, what have I been? 4th place, 7th place and 5th place so I can't remember at that rate I've, I think I went 5th, 4th and then 7th so um, and then yeah, UTA 100 here 7th um, in 2014 2nd uh, in 2015 and 6th in 2016 um, and 2017 was uh, oh, UTMB as well yeah. which was in August uh, yeah, so it was um, yeah probably one of the better races I've had I think, um, it was the yeah, easily most competitive field they've ever had there, and uh, I was 11th there, which kind of, I guess, normally wouldn't be super stoked with getting 11th place, but um, if you look at the kind of the list of guys' names who are ahead of me, it's, yeah, um, yeah definitely one of the, the better ones, um, and then, yeah, rounding out that year was Cape Town, Ultra, um, Trail Cape Town, which was third place, um, and, yeah, I got Old Trail, fifth place, uh, Montreux Trail Festival, uh, good, good mate of mine, Diego is actually the race director for that. Um, yeah. yeah, epic race. Um, yeah, they kind of combine it the same week as the I think it's the Montreux Jazz Festival as well. So it's a yeah, epic vibe for the whole kind of Montreux kind of city and Geneva kind of area. It's um, yeah, awesome spot. So um, and yeah, I guess now so a couple of weeks ago, um, Hong Kong 100, um, fifth place. And yeah, fifth again in twenty fourteen. So I haven't improved much, but um, yeah, slightly different course this year. It was definitely a lot, a lot, a lot harder course um, and slightly longer as well. So yeah, um, yeah. So
0: it's me. So, so if you could only take away one, what's your what's your proudest achievement there? Um,
1: proudest achievement? Um, yeah, I guess uh, overall out of those, I think probably UTMB twenty seventeen. Um, yeah, it just wasn't expected. Like, I was honestly going into that racing, and, like, if everything aligned, I could maybe crack top 20. Um, there was the same year I had surgery on my ankle in March, so it was kind of like a rebuild kind of year and wasn't expecting too much. And, um, yeah, I was yeah I was kind of shitting myself at the start, just thinking, man, am I actually going to finish this race? You know, like, you've got all these thoughts going through your mind. I mean, even anyone who's had the perfect build-up has thoughts going through your mind as you start a miler. But, yeah, I was kind of hoping my ankle was going to hold up. I hadn't tested it more than 100 k and it was just... All these kind of unknowns, so they kind of you yeah, come out with eleventh, and um, yeah, I made it. I think it was nearly six hour PB from from uh, three years before, so it was um, yeah, pretty pretty good race. So. It's pretty big PB, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's. I'd like to say it's because I trained hard and I did really well, but the 2014 when I did the UTMB, that was just that was probably still today the most horrendous race in my life. So it's um, yeah, it wasn't sort of much to improve on. So yeah. yeah.
0: The operation you mentioned, was that, um, I've heard you mention it before, was that a floating bone that you had to have removed?
1: Yeah, it was really weird. Like um, The bone's called the ostrogonum, and it's basically, yeah, I think something like 10% of people have it, and then of that 10%, only another 10% actually have a problem with it. Um, so it's been them whole life, playing soccer as a kid and running around, mucking around in the mountains and stuff back in New Zealand and never being an issue. And then actually um, it would have been yeah, it Must have been midway through 2016, I think. Um, just training in um, in the Gross Valley, and I slipped and just like jarred my heel on another stair and I'm um, just basically dislodged this bit of bone, and just kind of went from being somewhere it could kind of happily be to somewhere where it couldn't be. And um, yeah, so it's kind of yeah mucked around with physio and stuff for a while, but. Yeah, no amount of physios was going to get the bone kind of back in the right place or, um, or get rid of the bone so you end up having surgery to, to get rid of the piece. Did
0: you have to have much time off running when they took it out?
1: Uh, no, the, the kind of the cool part was is the main recovery was just recovering like the wound site from where they made the incision. Um, it was basically just yeah, sort of a small incision on yeah. the inside of my ankle and take out a bit of bone and then stitch me back up. Um, and the rest of the ankle kind of joint and structure was um, was pristine apparently. So um, yeah, apart from that annoying bit of bone, everything was, was pretty good, so... Um, but mind you, in saying that now the the battle is, is just dealing with the scar tissue that wants to fill that gap where the bone was. So it's um, definitely still a management type thing. And if I don't do anything with it for a wee while, we're done. it definitely kind of slips up a little bit. So it's um,
0: so to manage that, do you just do rehab stuff?
1: Or? Uh, yeah, a lot of ankle mobility stuff, um, and a lot of just massage as well. Just trying to keep the ankle sort of nice and mobile, and just you know able to sort of do that dorsiflexion flexion type stuff. Um, because then, if your yeah, ankles aren't moving properly, that's when calf muscles and other kind of you know, muscles and structures don't like it so much. So yeah. it's um, definitely something to keep on top of for sure.
0: Yeah, cool. I am. Um... I should have introduced Michelle Hangi here, uh, your, your, uh, your student. Uh, yeah, you know, your protégé. Your, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you're coaching uh, Michelle. I'm going to ask you a bit about your coaching shortly. Yeah. Um, does it feel weird coaching someone that's, say, uh, you're 32? You're yeah. Um, someone that's, you know, sort of eight years your senior. I'm being generous with that yeah, eight I years. Think. 12 years your senior? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 40, 40. I have to think about it now. 14 years. <laughs> yeah. 40, 40, so. <laughs> 44 is here 44 yeah so any does that feel strange coaching no, no it's
1: um yeah I mean I coach people the youngest has um, just gone 18 yep. and the oldest would be I have two ladies I coach who would be 63 and 67 yeah um, and then yeah, literally everything, everything in, between. in between. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's just, yeah, one of those things is um, I don't sort of specifically target a certain age group or even a type of athlete or people targeting yeah. particular races. I mean, generally I'm coaching people that are doing trail and ultra marathon kind of stuff, um, but in saying that if there's yeah, someone sort of coming and asking about getting them ready for a certain race, um, yeah, I guess if it sort of sounds like something interesting and, yeah, definitely keen to sort of, you know, help anyone on that journey, so...
0: So you work for Mile Twenty Seven. So if anyone yeah. wants to find you, they can go to the Mile Twenty Seven yeah, website sure. and, and look you up. And so, how many um, how many people are you coaching at the moment?
1: Um, it changes a bit throughout the year. Um, it generally sort of I kind of um, in my quieter times with my own racing and family time and stuff. like, I'll definitely increase um, clients and stuff just with having a bit more time and um, and making making an opportunity to earn a bit more income, I guess, um, as a coach, um, but yeah, generally anywhere around kind of 60 clients, um, sort of generally split it up over four days of like writing plans and that sort of thing, and then an extra day kind of catching up on emails and messages, and um, yeah, it's um, it's funny because on one hand, you sort of, you say a number like that, and it's sort of like, far out, that's a lot of clients, yeah. um, which, which it is a number of clients, obviously, but um, yeah, the amount of contact time I have with my clients is Michelle will know through, through WhatsApp and through email and all that kind of stuff, and um, with probably ninety percent of my clients now, I've been coaching them for a, a good few years now as well. So you get to know that you know who's got certain areas to train on, and who's got a wife, and who doesn't have a wife, who's doing shift work, who's a nurse, who's a firefighter, and everyone's rosters and stuff like that. Um, and so it's yeah, it's creating that you know good relationship with clients. Um, it's sort of yeah just means that you can sort of you know know what's going on with their training but also a bit of the background kind of stuff with you know rosters and stuff like that as well which is obviously you know a big part of the equation when you're coaching an athlete so is
0: it all online coaching are you doing any face-to-face stuff
1: no so it's all online um yeah i have toyed with the idea of doing some you know sort of one-on-one sessions and stuff but um, for now me kind of personally being generally kind of a low mileage kind of runner um, for, me, for me if I started adding on kilometres and kilometres of training with clients and stuff as much as I would love to do that because I really enjoy when I have had training camps in the past um, me and Andy have had camps in New Zealand and I've had a camp last year in Andorra and Yeah, I do enjoy that, you know, that contact time and face-to-face kind of stuff because um, as, I guess, good as online coaching is with, you know, voice messages and sending messages and creating a plan and stuff like that, um, you obviously can go into a lot more detail regarding some of the specific kind of stuff regarding technique and form and, you know, address a few more areas in person kind of things. So, um, yeah, something maybe for the future, but for now I sort of just want to keep... I guess the coaching side of things and I guess my own running and, and that kind of thing separate yeah. just for now. So You've got to get the balance right. Yeah, for sure, definitely. So Andy
0: um, started car- coaching you in 2013 at, at Mile 27. How, yeah. long, um, how long was he coaching you for before he asked you to step up as a coach yourself? Yeah,
1: it would have been um, probably close to three, yeah, two and a half, three years, I think. Yeah. And it's sort of, I guess, after, yeah, my, it seems like a wee while ago now, but maybe 18 months or two years, it's sort of something we'd kind of, you know, sort of chatted about, and, um, yeah, I was probably Andy's most annoying client. I was just asking far too many questions and, you know, asking this and that about everything, and... Um, That's how I feel sometimes. Yeah, no, but I think it's good as an athlete to, to ask, ask questions, and, um, yeah, I think the, the more an athlete kind of understands the process of, you know, what they're doing, why they're doing it, they can... Yeah, hopefully understand why the coach is saying do this on this day and when the coach is saying, hey, this, this run needs to be easy for a reason, they kind of understand the whole concept instead of just sort of blowing it by the wayside and going, oh, what does is, what is Scotty know? I'm going to go and do this anyway or make a four-hour run, a five-hour run or whatever that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, cool. Hey, um, you, you obviously love running. You, you did your first marathon when you were only 17. Most people, you know, they're lucky to do it when they're in their 20s. Probably most would do their, brave their first marathon in their 30s. Tell us about that experience. What made you do a marathon when you were 17?
1: Um, first, I had to get an exemption to actually run the marathon because I was unbraiding, which was, um, I guess that was the first kind of hurdle. But um, i have done, um, in New Zealand, um, they have um, kind of, I guess, they development course is called Outward Bound. And um, I did an outward bound course uh, a long time ago now, it must have been the year before that and part of that course was basically, I think it was every day for two or three weeks you had to do three kilometres a day and then the culmination of that program was basically a half marathon um, on the Able Tasman Walk in the South Island and um, yeah, did the half marathon and in the build up everyone's getting all psyched about, it. it wasn't a race but it was kind of like, it was still kind of a race as far as anyone that cared was concerned and um, yeah, there's kind of all this talk about another guy who was part of another camp who he was just going to blitz the field and everything. And um, yeah, so I did that race, enjoyed it, and then caught that guy with about five k to go, and um, ended up, I guess, winning the race that wasn't a race, um, and kind of sparked, a, yeah, just an enjoyment of running even more so than what I was already doing. Um, so then, year the following year, the year I did the marathon it was my last year of high school, and. Um, yeah, to be honest, part of it was just wanting to run a marathon because I thought, you know, it's a long distance and, you know, it'd be pretty cool. But also, I just saw a man, it'd be pretty cool to brag to my mates if i have run a marathon and they haven't, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I thought I'd, um, yeah, give it a go. And, um, yeah, I had a really good sort of, I guess, mentor through my kind of late teens, um, a guy called Marty Lukes, who is a, yeah, represented New Zealand at 100K Road Champs and, um, yeah, just a phenomenal athlete, sort of one of the... I guess the more old school, kind of what I think of like more hardcore kind of runners and adventurers from New Zealand back in the day, there seems to be a breed of of athletes. I guess they're probably, dare I say it, probably from maybe early to mid 40s to kind of mid 50s. Um, And yeah, my uncle's actually probably included in that group. Um, And yeah, they just sort of, um, yeah, they're just much harder than than I am now. And and I think, you know, anyone of kind of my generation is, um, yeah, they just sort of did things a bit more bit more old school and just kind of got out there and got it done and um, yeah, when I asked Marty about doing the marathon he said, uh, he goes you're definitely capable of doing it and yeah, he wrote me a bit of a training plan and um, yeah it was uh, it was awesome just to, to experience and to sort of do one so it was a yeah. yeah, good experience
0: Yeah cool, only 17 um, So you went on, you, you competed in some triathlons, some multi-sports and even you represented New Zealand in, in the duathlon yeah. Where, when did you start getting into trail running?
1: Um, oh I think I've always been yeah, I mean, I've always been in the mountains as a kid. Um, yeah, mum and dad and my uncle as well, they sort of always getting us out out in the mountains when we were younger and stuff, whether it was tramping and whitewater kayaking and stuff like that, and um, yeah, probably proper trail running. Um, yeah, probably wasn't really until I did the coast-to-coast coast, um, back in, I'm not even sure, sure when that was, maybe 2012, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, started to sort of get out in, out in Arthur's Pass in New Zealand a bit more, which is sort of middle of the Southern Alps. And, um, yeah, just sort of, I already loved being in the mountains, but then all, all of a sudden being able to kind of move fast and efficiently in the mountains was just like, man, how cool is this? You know, instead of, you know, 50K taking two or three days, I can do 50K in, you know, five hours or eight hours or whatever it was, you know. So it just really, um, yeah, sort of started the ball rolling, I guess.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, so if you started running trails in 2012, it just seems like your career took off in 2014. I- is that when you started getting coached? Or
1: um, Yeah, so I did the Coast to Coast, I think it was yeah, 2012. Yeah, it must have been 2012. Um, and yeah, I actually tore my lateral meniscus during the Coast to Coast on day one. Um, not the most ideal when it's a two-day race, but, um, yeah, just one of those things, kind of just, yeah, bandage it up. And luckily the second day was uh, a, a 70k kayak, I think, and a, and a long bike ride to kind of finish the race. So it wasn't the kind of the hard impact of running, which I think was was lucky, because if I had another runner, would have been pretty well stuffed. But, um, yeah, in saying that, it was kind of ended up being, um, yeah, kind of almost two or three years I had my knee operated on and then the kind of the recovery from that. Um, just sort of, yeah, everything just took a wee bit longer than expected and me being, I guess, a little bit stubborn and probably stupid now looking back on it um, I just rushed back into things too soon and even before I had the surgery with the torn meniscus I just would basically race, recover, race, recover because my knee would just blow up massively after each race Um, and it wasn't until the multi-sport race I did in a team back in Perth Must have been later that year, and um, I had to run three times during the race. So, the first run I did was just a flat tack 10k, kind of got through that okay. End of the second run, the knee was a bit grumpy, and then the end of the third run, I was basically barely walking at the end of it, kind of thing. So, um, yeah, booked in for surgery, must have been January 2013, I think. Um, So, that whole year was just, yeah, basically. Trying to run too soon and just not listening to doctors and people that were telling me what I should be doing and um, thought I knew better kind of thing and just convincing myself that it was better than what it really was and you know didn't give it the time it needed kind of thing. So um, yes, yeah, so it probably wasn't really until kind of I guess yeah 2014 I kind of started saying that okay I'm I'm a running now and I need to start taking things seriously um, and it must have been yeah kind of in and around that time I think I started up with Andy. Um, And, yeah, just sort of started getting a bit more focused about running and, um, yeah, because I realised that, yeah, I could kind of stumble my way through training and kind of pretending like I knew what I was doing based off, you know, what research and... seen other people doing and stuff but um yeah I think for any athlete it's easy to kind of do your own thing and then it's not till someone kind of externally looks into what you're doing and starts picking things apart a little bit and gives you a bit more direction so gives you
0: a, it gives you a direction and structure so you're not wasting any sessions yeah well
1: we, before before starting with Andy like I was running okay like I was still I guess locally winning races and stuff like that but I became like this amazing 30 kilometer runner because I'd basically just go out and run, like, 30k, like, three or four times a week, and I'd pretend I was doing, you know, some speed work and some hill hill, hill work and some hilly runs and some long runs, and, like, everything was at the same pace. Like, it was just, like, this monotonous, you know, 30k would take me three hours and 50k would take me five hours, but then i'd only do those longer runs every now and again and like so many races when i was doing these 50k races i'd get to 30k and just completely fall apart because the body was just like hang on a second like what are we doing like when we don't be you know like it just wasn't used to yeah what, what i was needing it to do kind of thing so yeah
0: yep, that makes a lot of sense um so you've got a number of sponsors vibram compressed sport camelback and naked Yep, still on board with them
1: um. Yeah, I probably can't go into things too much, but at the moment, yeah. Okay, yep. good.
0: And uh, so does having these sponsors allow you to um, travel and compete abroad, uh, or do you also need a, a secondary income? So, you know, pe- people want that that um, professional lifestyle that you live. yeah. And, yeah. I know you spent about six months living overseas last year in yeah, Europe, yeah. Spain. Um, is its it... Is it you know, the trail running still, you know, very. It's it's not like uh, road racing where there's not as much money in it as no, road racing. it's races. not Formula One racing. No, that's what you're no, doing. it's not. There's no comparison, yeah. is it? So, uh, tell us, as a as a professional runner, uh, yeah. do you do you still need to work?
1: Are yeah. you got sponsors. Yeah, so with the coaching, I'm I'm working full time. Yeah, um, which. I guess the the type of work I'm doing, being online, it can kind of appear sometimes that I'm maybe not working or not working as much or don't have a job, but yeah, I can assure you that I'm definitely working full-time. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm definitely making an income from running, for sure. Um, and yeah, I guess with how we're wanting to live our life at the moment, um, yeah, I guess depending on, I mean, if I was single and 20 years old and didn't have a family, then yeah, maybe I could... You know, make my way living off what I'm earning from running. But um, yeah, having a you know a wife and a two and a half year old daughter now, um, obviously the dynamics have changed. And um, yeah, so I'm yeah working full time as a coach, but definitely having sponsors and um, you know the financial component to that um, is definitely yeah helping us to enable us to, to spend basically year, six months in Europe each year and then. Uh, six months back home in New Zealand, or split between New Zealand and Australia. So, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's definitely growing as a sport, obviously, traveling. I mean, you, anyone remotely close to the kind of the sport or the industry would be, you know, pretty naive to not see where the sport is heading. It's obviously gaining quite a lot of traction, um, I mean, in in Australia and New Zealand for sure, but globally um, it's just massive. And I think, um, yeah, once people venture outside of Australia and New Zealand to Europe and to the US, they actually realise how big trail running is becoming, you know. Like, um, yeah, there's more and more prize money kind of floating around at races and stuff. Um, Sponsorship deals are becoming, you know, more kind of financially viable for athletes to to, yeah, live, live off, off an income as an athlete, as a trail runner, which, you know, five years ago you could, you know, easily count on one hand how many guys were kind of doing it, whereas nowadays there seem to be a lot more guys and, and, and girls as well, obviously, because, yeah, the girls are definitely, um, you know, doing the same thing that we're doing and, you know, smashing races and breaking course records and performing at the, the highest level. So it's, um yeah, it's awesome that, yeah, both men and women are able to, yeah, use the sport and kind of, you know, chase their dreams and, and earn, a, earn a living at the same time kind of thing, so.
0: Yeah, cool. What's, um some of the prize money for some of the bigger races these days?
1: Um, to be honest, like, yeah, the, the biggest or the bigger prize money races are pretty much all in the US from my understanding, which one would wonder why I haven't actually been there, raced some of them yet, but um, obviously with that, it's not like you just kind of stroll up to this race that maybe has 10000 or $15,000 prize money you don't just, like, rock up, have a pretty good day out and take the cash, you know, like there's yeah, normally some crazy competition at some of those races, um, but yeah, the North Face 50 in San Francisco, I think that's got about 10,000 US prize money, um, the Speed Goat 50k, I think has about maybe 8,000, and I could be completely wrong, but I think it's around about 8,000 US, um, and there's a race in France, that I can't re- quite remember the name, it might come to me, but um, yeah, I think there's somewhere around 8,000 euros, so about 12,000 Australian um, prize money so yeah I mean it's 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 not that much it's not that much in the grand scheme of things when you look at sport kind of like globally because like if you told you know Novak Djokovic hey bro you're going to win 12 grand if you win this tournament it's going to be like he's not even going to turn up for that you know so it's it's definitely um yeah it's not much in that sense but in the sense if you look at what trail running was doing maybe five years or ten years ago it's definitely getting better um and, yeah, a sign of that, I guess, is even, like, for UTMB, um, which is, I guess, the, you know, the pinnacle and kind of the, the biggest race, you know, in the world, essentially. Um, they've added, as of last year, I think, added prize money to the, you know, sort of equation of the, the podium kind of positions, which, again, it's not a whole heap, but it's, you know... I mean, for me, if I get on the podium this year, I'd rather have the money in my pocket than, than the, you know, someone else's kind of thing. So and, and it does all help, you know. Like, if for athletes, if it means that their next flight from... Know, their home country back to Europe or from Europe to Australia or New Zealand is kind of covered from prize money and it enables them to kind of keep traveling and living this like trail running dream then you know that's a, a good thing you know so absolutely yeah. and it's only going to grow think yeah fingers crossed um, yeah it's um, I think combining yeah like obviously podiums and you know race prize purses and stuff combining that with year sponsorship deals and endorsements and things like that um, yeah it's definitely becoming a lot more viable for athletes to yeah, keep chasing that kind of dream and it's hopefully gonna you know, become a case of not having to live out the back of someone's truck or something or you know, sitting on someone's couch, um, to kind of be able to do that sort of thing. So um yeah, the sports I think definitely heading in a pretty good direction. So Yeah, cool. yeah.
0: Um so you're originally from Christchurch, you
1: moved over to Australia about
0: nine years ago.
1: Yeah, a long Uh, time
0: ago now. Your wife's an an Aussie. Do you miss living in in Christchurch?
1: Um, Oh, Liz is technically a Kiwi. Um, Yeah, both her parents are Kiwis. Um, She was born in Australia, but she does have a New Zealand passport. So, um, yeah, definitely... I miss home all the time like it's um, a lot of the time I get people like Scotty, you're from New Zealand like why are you living in Australia? Um, but yeah, just with um, yeah the way, the way life kind of well I guess was when we moved over to Australia there was you know, pretty good reasons to move to Australia with Liz's family being over here and um, you yeah, and initially it was supposed to be like 12 18 months in Perth and then um, you know shooting back to New Zealand um, just to sort of be close to her family for a wee bit and then you know, head back to New Zealand. Um, but yeah, we just kind of got stuck into Perth and was just loving it, and that was pretty much when my yeah, kind of running started getting yeah. into things, and um, well, my ultra ultra marathon running anyway. Um, and yeah, just sort of I guess with a few of my earlier sponsors were Australian based companies, um, so yeah, kind of I guess financially it would would have been a step backwards going back to New Zealand at that time because it would have meant kind of going back to. You know, hey guys, I'm Scotty. Will you sponsor me, kind of thing, um, and so yeah, it just kind of made sense, um, and it just seemed that the Australian Australian trail running kind of scene with with races and everything that was going on within it was just at a I guess it had just progressed a little bit further than New Zealand and I mean it still is the case I think it's sort of like you know Europe and America are kind of Europe predominantly are kind of leading the forefront of trail running you know globally um, and then yeah it seems like you know other countries are kind of like still on that same path but just at a different stage on that path so um. Yeah, that's why we're still in Australia at the moment. And um, yeah, for me as well, also with New Zealand um, kind of being a country that does have like a really sort of, you know, definite winter and definite kind of summer, um, training in winter in New Zealand, uh, sorry, training in winter, yeah, in New Zealand is, um, yeah, obviously quite a bit different from training in Australia. Um, in because yeah, New Zealand's got you know a whole bunch of snow, you know, covered mountains and stuff. So I don't think
0: they know what winter means
1: here. Yeah, it's funny, Australians. Yeah, I know when we first moved to Perth, and it'd be like you know, eighteen degrees, and people are putting like a jumper on and going, oh, it's it's pretty cold, you know. And yeah, obviously, yeah, every country's different with weather and stuff. But um Australia's a yeah, it's a pretty good, pretty good base to sort of be, you know, training and, um, and racing um, throughout you know, yeah. sort of, the winter time. So yeah. so, yeah.
0: Cool. And uh, you're living at Blackheath now. How long have you been there for, and where else have you lived in Australia?
1: Um, yeah, so we fir- we moved to Perth when we first came over um, to Australia, so, we yeah, we lived there for, I think, nearly four years, I think it was, um, and, and, yeah, we sort of, um, as, I guess, my running was progressing, um, Perth is, as amazing as it is, it's not overly conducive to training for trail ultramarathons marathons in the French Alps or the Dolomites or something, no. it's... Um, it's just yeah, super flat. Um, and from basically November to March, it's just you know thirty plus degrees, close to forty degrees, pretty much every day. So you kind of the no- novelty of training in the heat through November December is kind of cool, and you know it's uh, you know kind of bearable, but then it gets just pretty hot and it just starts to suck a wee bit. So yeah, so we decided um, to to move across to Katoomba and um, sort of see what that was all about. I'd actually flown out, well, sorry, flown out while we were living in Perth. And um, yeah, I spent. It must have been. It must have been the year that I won solitary, um, and basically spent a week over here. I was working in a school at the time, so I had the school holidays off. So I came over and did sort of a training block uh, for would have been North Face hundred back then, I think. And um, yeah, just loved the place. So I got back to Perth and said to Liz, was like, hey, we've, "We've got to move to Katoomba, It's so good. You know, there's this and this, and showed her photos. And yeah, we kind of um, chatted about it for a wee while, and, um, and then it just got to a point where we just said. We just need to quit our jobs, pack our bags and go, because otherwise we're going sit, to be sitting here in Perth 10 years' time getting a lot wonder wonder what would have happened if we had gone to Katoomba and, um, you know, sort of seeing, you know, how that kind of went. So, yeah, so we lived in Katoomba for, probably would have been about just under two years, I think. Um, and then, yeah, since then we've been pretty much, I guess, travelling full-time, sort of leading the, the nomadic life somewhat. Um, yeah, sort of six months in Europe and then six months back in Australia New Zealand. And generally we're using airbnb kind of throughout europe um, and in and around races um sometimes with hotels or accommodation if the organization's providing and stuff um and then yeah in australia it's either with family or you know airbnb or new zealand is normally with family as well so um yes yeah, so blackheath i mean i've been here for a week my wife liz gets back in uh, a few days time
0: yeah
1: um, and then we'll be here until the 20th of may um, so here for this is probably, I think, the longest time we're going to be in one place yeah. since probably yeah, probably over two years ago. Wow. And we're only here for ten weeks, but it feels like a lifetime. So I'm actually, yeah, pretty, pretty psyched to be back here and, um, you know, kind of have my I – just, I just know the area. That's the only, I guess – it sounds silly I'm not being picky but probably the only downside to travelling full time um, especially in new areas is that I tend to spend kind of two or three weeks finding my feet regarding the trails and where to go and stuff like that Um, and then yeah then I can kind of get into what I'd call maybe proper training Um, and then yeah whereas when I come back here it's like if I want to run for three hours with a thousand vert, I'll go here with I want to do 60 minutes and go flat I can go here it's just everything's yeah a bit more stable and also having having a really good physio here really good chiropractor um Yes, yeah, definitely. All those kind of little things that I probably don't, you know, I'm not as consistent with when I'm over in Europe. Um,
0: it makes it feel comfortable too, you know. You know what
1: yeah, you definitely. Make. Yeah, yeah. Like I know, I know where things are in the supermarket aisle. You know, like it's <laughs> it, as crazy as it sounds. Some of those kind of comforts that you do have when you're living somewhere. Um, yeah, you definitely appreciate when you do have them again. But in saying that, um, I'm hanging to get it back back to Europe again and you know, climb some big mountains because it is just. Yeah, it's definitely feeling pretty blessed to be able to kind of do what we're doing at the moment with spending, you know, so much time yeah. over in Europe. And...
0: Livigno? Sorry? Are going to
1: Livigno? Livigno for sure, yeah. Livigno is epic. Um, yeah, the valleys are just over 1,800 metres and then you've got these, like, 3,000 metre peaks just everywhere, like, it's ridiculous. Um, and it's just, yeah, perfect combination um, of... Yeah, if you want to do a flat tempo along the river, you can do a flat tempo. If you want to go and climb some crazy mountain and basically not run any of it for four hours, you can go and do that as well, you know, so it's, um, yeah, that's a good base. And another place, uh, Valtorin, uh where I was training last year before UTMB. Um, Valtorin's is at 2,300 metres. It's basically a ski resort in winter, and then it essentially turns into ghost town in summer, so there's pretty much no-one around, which... It's kind of cool because you can just basically focus on training and there's no distractions and, um, yeah, it's just sort of good to get a good training block in. So there's, um, yeah, definitely a few good spots to, to hang out and train over there for sure.
0: When you're doing your training blocks leading into a mile, what's, what's a good, um, do you aim for an average amount of kilometres each week or, or do, you do, do you measure time on your feet? Or?
1: Um, I've only done three milers. Um, all of them have been UTMB. Um, but yeah so I've been I was coached by Andy for a few years and then i was kind of been doing my own thing for the last couple of years um, but yeah built up for UTMB last year um, generally kind of like I guess 6, 5 and 4 weeks out um, as a ballpark kind of figure I'm looking at around 100 miles a week give or take um, but in saying that it's, um, for me as I kind of mentioned earlier I'm a pretty low mileage kind of runner so like honestly if I can tick over like you know a, you know a, a kilometre figure with that starts with a one and I oh and a, like if I get over 100 k's per week yeah. for me that's kind of a big week as, as crazy as it does sound yeah. um but yeah definitely for a miler like I'm definitely I, you just need to get a bit more volume in the legs and a bit more conditioning and stuff and just a few a few more just kind of longer days bigger days on feet I'm not doing anything kind of crazy as far as like midweek sessions or anything like that goes but yeah just a bit more time in the mountains and um yeah just getting a bit more conditioning through just some kind of you know chilled out kind of long runs and just maybe adding on a, a you know kind of like a medium long run during the week and stuff just to bump up that kind of overall kind of volume um but in saying that I think here yeah, last year I to be honest I probably had two weeks I think where it was 100 miles and then um and then you're yeah, basically back around that kind of 100-ish kind of kilometer mark um but, yeah, just, it just depends on how, you know, previous kind of training's been going and stuff with regards to whether you can kind of absorb and actually take on that kind of load or whether you are better off just, you know, kind of erring on the side of a little bit less and just, you know, targeting things slightly differently. So, it's, um,
0: yeah. You, um, you,
1: you went through your results
0: earlier and it seems you excel at the, the ultra distance. What's, what's your favourite, what's your preferred distance?
1: <laughs> It's something yeah, I've thought about a lot. Um, Yeah, it's crazy because I still feel to date like some of my best races have been around the marathon distance on trails. Um, Mount Solitary back in 2014 when I sort of won and broke the course record um, ran 4.23 um, and then the, we've got the 6 inch trail marathon over in Western Australia and that's um, just over 48k with just on a thousand metres of it um, and I've run that in 3.19, 3.18 and then 3.15 um, which for me are kind of almost better performances than stuff I've done yeah. at longer races but um, yeah it's a shame that they um, don't quite get recognized the same way but I know for like me personally as an athlete I feel like a lot of those you know kind of shorter races have actually been um, better performances you know kind of on paper and actually how they felt as well um, but yeah um, yeah I guess I just yeah I love the the places that you go during an ultra um, and just yeah, it's just the, the all I speak to clients all the time just about the different dynamics that are involved within an ultra, and, and for me that's really exciting. You know, like it's um, yeah, there's just so many different challenges and kind of hurdles and obstacles to kind of overcome. It's not just a case of you know train hard, do a good taper, have good nutrition, and then you'll have an awesome race. You know, like there's just especially at the longer stuff, you know, like Lavaredo or UTMB stuff like that. You know, you've really got to you know really problem solve during that journey. Um, there's no there's no guarantees. You know, like. You know, I say to clients sometimes, like I'd love to be able to tell you that if you train perfectly for the next three months, you're going to have an awesome race. And it just doesn't doesn't happen like that, you know. Which I think is the exciting part of it, because when it kind of when things do click, there's nothing better, you know. Yeah. Like when you really feel that you've nailed an ultra marathon, um, yeah, it's just such an epic thing to kind of look back on and reflect back on. And um, and even now have races I look back on and just think, far out, that was that was pretty good, you know. So it's. Um, yeah, and I think because of the dynamics, that's what keeps you coming back for more and more kind of thing because, you know, even if an athlete, you know, and even for people in New South Wales, you know, they live in Sydney, UTA's right here, so they can come back year after year. Uh, you know, if someone's done that race three times, they guarantee you that every single race, something different happens, you know, like yeah. they think, you know, I'm going, run, I'm going to run a bit smarter and smoother along Narrow Neck, and then as they're running downhills into Dunfee's or something or into six-foot track sheet point, they just go and belt themselves and they're climbing up now, they's just going, why did I do that? And, you know, like it's just... Yeah, they're so dynamic, and, and I've had the same over the years with UTA and races that I've done several times. I've had some good results. So then on reflection, I'm like, okay, so next year if I just do that and that, I should win the race, or I should run faster. And then all of a sudden, you know, other things get thrown at you, and um, yeah, you sort of all of a sudden thinking what's going on here, kind of thing. So it's um, yeah, it's a, a dynamic, interesting sport for sure.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, speaking of um, of you doing so well, as you mentioned. Um, with the with the the mid distance, so to speak, the forty five k runs, then uh, six foot might be perfect
1: for you. Yeah, one day. Yeah, I. I mean. You came
0: close last year, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I've been. I literally, I think I've been entered twice, and just haven't haven't kind of pulled through, I guess. Which, um, yeah, it's. I don't know. It's just one of those things. Um, for me, I enjoy, yeah, technical trails, being in the mountains, and. Six foot track is in the Blue Mountains, but it's uh, apart from kind of going down alleys and some of the stuff down to the river, it's a so it's a, a very mountain. groomed kind of trail race, you know. Like I um, mean, nothing against that because it's like some of the fire trails around the Blue Mountains are absolutely epic. Like are so beautiful. I just ran ran out near um Victoria Falls um, today, just along a you know kind of a boring old fire trail, and it was just awesome. You know, some of the views along some of the ridge lines and stuff are epic. But yeah, like I said, I think if I'm gonna Yeah, if I'm going to commit to six foot, I I guess I'd be wanting to do something special at six foot and um, not just kind of rock up and do it. So, um, yeah, maybe, probably not next year, but, yeah, maybe 2021 possibly. We'll see how we go. Well, you're only young. You've got plenty of years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, still youngish. I mean, yeah, I'm definitely not one of the younger guys. I mean, I still feel like one of the younger guys, but, um, yeah, I mean, obviously with, you know, young, I don't want to call them kids, but, you know, 18, 20, 22-year-olds kind of coming onto the scene now. Um, yeah, I've kind of got maybe 10 or 12 years, maybe more on all of those guys. But in saying that, if, as a like an ultra runner, a competitive ultra runner goes, you know, like I've got hopefully another you know 10, 15 years of still you know running and performing to a high level. And um, I mean, even I think three or four years ago, the guy who won UTMB was like 43 years old. So it's like if he's doing stuff like that, then there's, you know, c- kind of hope for, you know, for any athlete, really, you know, and that's not to say you get to 43 and wave the, wave the white flag and say I'm out, you know, it's, um, yeah, you just, you know, sort of either adjust goals or you start chasing, you know, different focuses and stuff, but I think, you know, and that's, I, to be honest, that's what partly helps me shape my race calendar. Um, now is because I'm thinking, hey, I'm 32 now, you know, I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, um, I want to be doing this sport and I want to be chasing her around in 10 and 15 years, and I want to be running on the trails with her when she's in her, you know... Early, late teens, twenties, thirties, whatever. So, you know, I don't want to be the the dad that's got two blown out knees and you know can't chase his own daughter around. So, um,
0: so so how many races can you fit into a year, and and how many do you think is too many?
1: Um, I guess that's a tricky question um, because obviously every athlete is different. Um, You know, like, and I think it makes it difficult sometimes because like a lot of people either see on social media or within friend circles or within like running clubs and stuff like that. Like, oh. You know, Frank's doing this and this and this, and like Mary's doing this and this and this and this. And you know, my coach has said that it's only okay that I do you know one of these races or two. So I think it's easy to get kind of like caught up in things. Um, But like for me, for example, this year, so I did the Hong Kong 100 in January. Um, I haven't raced since then. Um, I'll do the Mount Solitary Ultra, which is seventh of April, Um, and then year possibly something at UTA, I'm not too sure yet um, and then yeah, I'll do the shorter race at Leverado this year um, and then basically UTMB so it's probably four, maybe five races and of those races um, two of them are going to be kind of like focus races which will be Mount Solitary and UTMB Um, So, yeah, on that sense, you know, you kind of look at that and you sort of think that's not very many races kind of thing compared to some other guys. And I have have mates, especially my European mates, and they're they're banging out races every two weeks kind of thing, and I'm looking at it going, like, oh, you know, should I be racing more? Like, these are guys that I'm competing against when we are on the same start line and stuff. But in saying that, like, I just think, yeah, every athlete's different. Um, And, yeah, I think every every nationality or culture is different in a sense, you know, like with the Europeans they've been doing it a lot longer than what we've been doing it for um, you know, even if they haven't been trail running, they're doing like ski mountaineering or cycling, they all just have that kind of like endurance kind of sport background um, which I think a lot of people within Australia, New Zealand, Australasia, whatever just don't have that same kind of background so um, I think it's yeah, pretty I guess naive and silly for people to start looking at those kind of calendars and thinking I'll just replicate that, you know like and I mean I have been I've been kind of caught out and silly, even 2014 Every for me Hong was Kong. just one of those years where it was just, you know, kind of stupid, like, even with the coach, with Andy at the time, like, I'd be going to Andy and saying, like, oh, like, I'm going to do this race, and we hadn't actually had much planned for that year, so I went to Hong Kong and got fifth, and so it was all exciting, and then the opportunity to, for Tarawira came up, so I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll go there, and I managed to convince Andy that it was a good idea, and, um, and then all of a sudden, so I went Hong Kong, Tarawira, Mount Solitary Ultra, U- or North Face 100, Lavarado, Ultra Trail, Ice Trail, Tarantase, and then UTMB. And you literally got to like 30k UTMB, and I was absolutely destroyed. And it was just like one of those things, even with the someone with the expertise of Andy. And I mean, I don't remember exactly, but he would have for sure have told me like, are you sure you want to go to UTMB this year? Like, you don't have to, like, there's no pressure, blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, managed to convince myself and him that it was a smart idea. And then, I mean, I had egg on my face at the end because, yeah, literally 30K into UTMB, which should have been the you know race of my year and career to date, um, yeah, just turned into an absolute slogfest. And, yeah, nearly 28 hours later, um, you know, I finished. I was glad I finished, but had it not been my first 100-miler, there's no way I would have finished that race. It was just, um, yeah, one of those things. So I think, yeah, it's easy to get caught up in the excitement of racing because it's kind of like... If you have a good race, it's like you want that feeling again. Or if you have a bad race, you want another race to get rid of that bad race. (laughs) Yeah, and it's even with the experience that I've got as an athlete and as a coach, I started chasing races last year even. Um, Yeah, I went to Madeira. Oh, sorry, I actually started at solitary. Um, I was on course record pace up until further steps, and then my lower back and my hamstring started playing out. So I ended up getting second equal with greenie, but I think I was 20 minutes or something slower than what I was kind of hoping to be. Um, and then went to the Madeira Island Ultra DNF there. Went to Lavradio after that. Got 20th there. I was like what was I, I think nearly two hours slower than my slowest time at labrador so i was like okay i need to make something right so i went to the eiger dnf'd at the eiger um so yeah it was just one of those things i just yeah just got into that cycle and had people around me telling me to stop being so stupid and stop doing what you're doing and my wife liz was like you know you don't have to do this you know you know what the goal is blah 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 but you know just something inside me just kept on telling me that i needed to race needed to race and um yeah, fortunately, I kind of eased off the gas enough before UTMB that physically I went into UTMB in a, in a pretty good shape. But, um, yeah, mentally, just um, wasn't didn't have that kind of edge going into UTMB um, last year, which, yeah, was a bit frustrating. Um, and, I mean, things panned out how they did at UTMB last year. It was a wee bit frustrating getting kind of so close, but not quite there. Um, yeah so yeah for me definitely yeah I I race a lot less and I think part of that as well is just because I love training you know like for me it's kind of like I could do that race but then that's going to require kind of two or three three weeks recovery and then I can't run and train how I kind of want to train or do what I want to do so um, yeah it's just one of those things you know I to be honest i'd probably prefer to to train more and, and race less which is what i'm doing and some athletes are kind of the opposite they, they like to race a lot more and you know have that as part of their kind of you know weekly and you know kind of training structure and stuff which is nothing wrong with that either as long as you're yeah, approaching those races how you should be approaching them and sort of not going okay well i've got you know 38 a races this year and i'm going to nail all of them because it obviously doesn't quite pan out like that so yeah
0: Cool. So, speaking of racing, we've got a competition for the listeners to guess your Mount Solitary time, which is next month. Um, so, you've, you're racing that in April. It's a 45-kilometre hilly course. Yeah. Uh, you've won it before, and I think you've come second and third as well. Um, what What's the goal? The goal is, obviously, to beat, beat the time that you did in 2014.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, like, I mean, as an athlete, you got to win the race first and worry about a course record second because...
0: Don't say what time you think you're going to do because that's the competition. Yeah, I mean, yeah, guess yeah. the time. Yeah, so... and I can't
1: say the time because then if I've got any mates listening that are racing, they'll, they'll have an edge. But, yeah, I think, I mean, you've got to kind of try and win any race first because, I mean, if five guys go into course record pace and you're not the first one, then it doesn't matter because, you yeah. know, no one remembers who gets second kind of thing. But, yeah, um, yeah I'm excited about Solitary. I've kind of, um, it's kind of not funny, but, yeah, the year that I did break the course record, um, it was the end of, like, Massive training week. And um, I remember being able to run with um, with Brendan Davies on, must have been like the Thursday or the Friday. And, um, and yeah, we were basically chatting. And he goes, oh, Scotty, you know Matt Solitary's on this week? And I was like, no, 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 mate. I said, look, I've checked the calendar. There's, there's no races on. Like, I was hoping to tie a race and when I flew over from Perth, kind of do a bit of training and do a race, but it just wasn't happening. And I don't know how I'm solitary, but anyway, so then all of a sudden I was looking at my flight time on the Sunday afternoon back to Perth. And I think we worked out that I had to run the race in less than, I think it's do less than five hours to then be able to get in the car, drive down to the airport, drop the car off, and then get on the plane to fly back. And then yeah, once we sort of worked out that yeah, five hours should be a pretty achievable kind of thing. Um, yeah, ended up sort of yeah, taking on the race. And um, yeah, it was at the end of a pretty tasty training week, um, which. Again, it was one of those races. If you had told me that I was going to run 4.23 and break the course record, I would just said, you, you dreaming, you know. Like, <laughs> I went into the race tired and didn't think much of it, but, yeah.
0: Did you have time to hang around for the presentation?
1: No, they actually gave you the trophy early and I had to scoot off. Um, <laughs> yeah, so finished and, yeah, pretty pretty quickly shot down and, uh, yeah, dropped the car off and, and jumped on the plane. And, yeah, it was a relatively uncomfortable plane ride back. I mean, it's only five hours or something, but, um, yeah, after kind of belching the legs... Um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't such a great sort of flight back, but, you know, it was, had, the, had the trophy, so got, it was all good. Yeah, you got the glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Hey, um, I'm going to go to a listener question. So this listener question is from B. Thompson, and uh, it's a question uh, for you, Scotty. He said, Scotty, I'm doing the UTA 100 for the first time. It's my first 100K race. Um, it's only two months away. Uh, I'm currently doing uh, four indoor rock climbing sessions a week and no running. What do you think? Am I on track?
1: Um, I think I think this guy is going to nail Terrace Ladders. Yeah. He's going to be awesome there. He won't even use his legs on Terrace Ladders. He'll just be, yeah,
0: you know, sh- yeah, making his, his way down. Yeah. That they
1: will be huge. Um, and I think if he can get to Ferbers He's going to fly it furthest. No legs again, just all arms all yeah. the way up to that finish line. And uh, yeah, maybe, maybe he should grab some poles. They might help if his arms are that strong. Poles could be good. So yeah, yeah. yeah see how it goes.
0: All right, awesome. I'll keep you. I'll keep you uh, updated <laughs> with his progress. <laughs> hey, um, the International Trail Running Association rates you in the top six New Zealand
1: runners. <laughs> who's, uh, who's your main rival internationally? Um, top six. That's a lovely stat. Yeah, the international ITRA I don't kind of get sometimes. Um, it's a funny kind of point system, and again, how I was kind of mentioning Mount Solitary result and even Six Inch result. Um, yeah, the, the points that I've been kind of designated for those races for me doesn't truly reflect how those races actually went. And I mean, obviously, as an athlete looking at your own results, you're kind of going to think oh, I should have got a few more points than I was something, but. Compared to other races I've done and known how they went, and I've got a lot more for some other races. It's kind of a funny one, but yeah, top six in New Zealand, I'll take it for sure. Yeah. Some, some good runners in New Zealand. Um, yeah, top top competitor. Um, yeah, probably my mate Power Power Capel. Like, yeah, I mean he's cleaning me up at the moment, the last couple of races. But um, yeah, he's the I mean he's the benchmark. Kind of internationally at the moment, I guess. Um, you know, you sort of, you know, you got guys like Killian and maybe Francois Dane who, are, you know, have been up there for quite a wee while. But um, yeah, Power's just—I mean, he won Trans Grand Canary a couple of weeks ago for the third time running, and it's not like it's a race that he kind of just rocks up to that no one runs and he's won it three times in a row. Like there's been some pretty much competition, um, and so yeah, so he—he um, he beat me at UTA the year he won it. Um, I think I was fifth or sixth or something. Um, and then I think it was that year that I beat him at Lavarado. Um, we literally ran together for like 90, 93 kilometres or something. Yeah. And um, it was all kind of fun and games for the first kind of 60K. And one of us would maybe slow down a bit at an aid station just briefly for the other one to kind of grab a few things and carry on. Um, but, yeah, then even he's, he's one of my best mates. But even still, like, we're just trying to destroy each other. And it's just awesome. Like, it's just... Any time that I felt he was kind of, you know, dropping off a bit, I'd push a bit harder, and, yeah. and, the, and the same deal. And any time I, I was feeling it a bit, I could just tell that he was just digging in. And, um, yeah, I literally beat him by, like, less than two minutes in the end, over 120K. Right. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, and we haven't really, um, haven't raced a whole bunch in the last, year, probably the last 12 months. But, um, yeah, we're going to both be at the start line of UTMB, um, which will be good, and possibly another race um, in Austria in July. Um, but yes, yeah, so and no, it'd be good if I could get one up over him. But I, yeah, it's easy to sit here at a you know table in, in Katoomba and, uh, and say that you know it's going to be a bit harder to go out there and do it. But and saying that, you know, like I feel like this year is going to be a, a really good year, and um, you know, hopefully some good results are going to come from it. So.
0: So speaking of uh, UTMB, last year um, you you, uh, you ran it. You actually ran into fifth position at one plate, one part of the race. I think it might have been 120 k's in. and uh and then and then can you tell us what happened then what you, you
1: hit a physical hurdle yeah um yeah UTMB last year was um yeah like I I'd been kind of nursing this kind of hamstring and lower back issue pretty much the whole year and now looking back on it realizing well now it kind of now it's good and realizing how bad it was last year um I probably shouldn't have raced much last year at all let alone do what I did and do UTMB um but yeah, I sort of, um, I knew I was kind of going okay, um, I literally wasn't doing any specific training at all, it was just time out in the mountains, just playing as kind of, as hippie as it sounds, I was pretty much just out there just in the mountains exploring, picking some berries sometimes and doing that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so going into UTMB, I, kind of, I knew that I had the conditioning to kind of, you know, run in the mountains and be in the mountains for a long time, um, and yes, yeah, so I was confident, and despite, I guess, the hammy and stuff, I just thought stuff, it, you know, you don't well, for me anyway, I didn't want to like get to UTMB, run a really really conservative race. You know, maybe get eleventh again or you know thereabouts. You know, because on one hand it's like yeah, that'd be pretty cool, top twenty UTMB. But I've kind of done that before, and as maybe bad as that sounds, that's not what I was wanting to achieve last year. Um, so I definitely went out a little bit more aggressive. Um, and yeah, the kind of the stomach issues that have been haunting me for probably the last eighteen months. Um, yeah, I kind of got through nearly 100k near Grand Colferé. It's one of the high points in Italy of the course. And, um, yeah, just before the top of that sort of climb, I just found myself, I was just, like, super thirsty. So to put in perspective, it was probably about 3 degrees. With wind chill, would have been easily minus. And um, I was basically going through easily, like, a litre an hour, if not more, and to the point where I was, like, looking out for creeks to try and fill up water. Got to the, the top of the, the coal, and um, there was an emergency kind of, like, tent there, and I was just asking these French dudes, like, you guys got water, like, you know, have you got water? And they're like, no, 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 we can't give you water. I'm like, I seriously need some water. And they're like, we can't, we can't. So anyway, I carried on going. And um, yeah, on that descent down into Champagne Lake, which is about 125k, um, yeah, my guts was just doing absolute backflips because I had so much fluid in my stomach from basically drinking so much it was just causing this like crazy sloshing and then in turn from seeing doctors they think it was basically my stomach was bouncing and causing my esophagus to twist slightly and because of that I was just basically dry reaching and just anything that wasn't came out and then it got to a point where I hadn't eaten anything for a long long time but just this uncontrollable like dry reaching was just it was crippling like it was just stabbing pains and got to born I was just here yeah, literally walking down hills and stuff, um, so I got just about at the Champagne aid station, I was ready to pull the pin again, um, and then my lovely wife kindly told me that that wasn't going to be happening <laughs> um, which, was, which was good in hindsight because um, I think I was in about ninth or 10th place at that point, um, and then left that aid station and I'd remembered from um, the year before when I got 11th, from back to the finish, like I just felt awesome like my splits were comparable to like francois and some of those other guys in like podium kind of top five kind of times and so i sort of left champagne and i was like no you know i remember this section like i trained on it and i knew that i could kind of i just kept telling myself that i could be strong here and be good here and got to the top of the climb out of champagne lac and i climbed up into fifth place and um yeah, it was just crazy because i was yeah then running along this like traversing kind of trail along the side of the mountain and um, you know just seeing hikers and stuff out there and I just sort of yelled out to one group of people I said oh excuse me can I just come through and the guy turns around, and goes oh are you a Kiwi mate I said yeah 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 he goes oh no way he goes oh where are you from and, oh you're great he goes oh we're from Wellington and then he yells out to his oh kids this guy's from New Zealand he's doing UTMB and, and then he just yells at me and he goes oh oh Jet, Mate, he goes. You're in fifth place, <laughs> and so I just literally—I mean, I got goosebumps now thinking about it because I was just thinking, you know, like finally after you know such a big race, yeah. yeah. The, and after the years that I'd had, and um, I just sort of felt like, yeah, not that like I was saying before about not that athletes deserve a race just because you've kind of trained through a good section, you know, had a good training period, or just because you've covered some obstacles in training or in the build-up. That doesn't mean you get to the start line and you get the medal, at, you know, straight away kind of thing. You've got to put in the hard yards. But I was kind of thinking oh, like, this is it, you know, like, I'm running a new TMB, I'm in fifth place, I'm feeling absolutely awesome again, um, and I've just seen, like, a family from New Zealand who are cheering me on, like, in France, you know, like, how crazy is this? And then, yeah, literally you got to the next downhill, and then the guts just started going crazy again. Just and, couldn't um, run downhill. No, just couldn't, couldn't run downhill at all, and by that stage, I hadn't had any nutrition since, oh, yeah, basically like 100 k into the race, so it would have been, actually, probably before that, probably 90 k so probably a good 40 k so yeah maybe five five and a half hours or something basically no nutrition and um yeah obviously you know lack of nutrition the body starts to shut down pretty quickly um so yeah i guess i kind of got as far as i could get and then yeah convinced myself to try and get to one more aid station um and yeah basically eventually dropped i think at must have been uh valacine i think um which was yeah literally i think it's about 20 something k to go and i think I was still in, like 11th place or something but the speed i was going at it, yeah, was, it was gone, you know, like it was just, yeah, yeah like, it was going to be, it was going to turn into another 28-hour, 30-hour UTMB, and, yeah, with all due respect, that's not what I was kind of there yeah. to achieve, and, and, I mean, I was dizzy and fainting on the trail, and I was lying on the side of the trail, and just, yeah, a bit of a mess.
0: What was making you so thirsty in the first place to consume so much liquid?
1: Um, I think, I feel like it was probably just maybe excess sodium, um, just, but the, I guess the good thing with my stomach is, is generally I've got a little bit of a cast iron gust in the sense that I can just take gel after gel after gel and I can, you know, you could, you could get me a slice of pizza and I'm probably going to be able to eat it and keep on running kind of thing but because of that, I was just taking kind of like too many gels and then adding into that some like caffeine tabs every, you know, a couple of hours through the night and stuff um, and then, you know, some salty chips every now and again and just all that kind of stuff. And so I was just, yeah, really, really thirsty. It's like, I guess, if you sit down and eat, like, a whole bag of, like, salted peanuts... Too much salt? You're going to be thirsty, yeah, you know. Yeah. Like, and essentially, I mean, I wasn't eating peanuts, but I was having, you know, a lot of salt. Um, and so, yeah, it was just crazy thirsty. Um, and, yeah, because of that, just, yeah, drinking too much water, so... Yeah, that was kind of, I guess, good to find out after talking with the doctor and stuff and, you know, going, going through a few things and working out what was going on. And it was kind of funny because, like, on one hand, it's like, you know, like, why did UTMB, why did it go so bad? And I was like, oh, you know, I had stomach problems. But it's not like, it's not stomach problems from, like, pushing too fast and then you can't take on nutrition or it's not stomach problems because you're sick of taking the same gels or the same drinks so you're just feeling really nauseous and vomiting. It was literally just, like, excess fluid, you know, in my guts which was causing all the problems, so... Um, and because then, even once I'd, I guess, not drank for quite a while, even like that night, like I smashed a burger and some chips, you know, like it wasn't, I wasn't feeling sick, I wasn't feeling anything like that, like my legs were
0: trashed. Just the weight pulling down. But it was, it was just obvious.
1: literally just this like bouncing in my guts. So um, that was definitely, nutrition side of things was definitely like a massive focus before, yeah, the Hong Kong 100 that I had a few weeks ago, so. Um, yeah and yeah Hong Kong went really well I changed things up a lot and changed my nutrition up which was really good so um, yeah and it was awesome just to being in Hong Kong and kind of getting through yeah 50 60k and thinking okay I think I'm good now I can you know because up until 50 60k in Hong Kong it was literally just make sure you finish the race make sure you finish the race when I have not starting this year with the DNF again um, so I ran yeah, as silly as it sounds, I ran really easy until kind of the halfway point. And then once I felt like I was kind of going to get to the finish line, I started to pick things up a wee bit and catch, catch a couple of guys, which was good. So, yeah. Perfect.
0: Okay, Scotty, earlier you uh, showed me a great photo. Was it the 2017... Uh, UTMB, where you had it was it was looked like it was snowing yeah. sideways. Yeah, uh, that that was a great photo. It gives people an idea. Yeah, most photos from the trail runs, it's beautiful, sunny, and people are <laughs> skipping along a uh, a dirt sandy path. Yeah, um, should you are happy to share that photo with it? We'll put that online when we put this podcast, yeah, yeah, sure. podcast up. That, yeah, that's definitely. an awesome photo. Hey? Yeah, yeah. so what are, your, um, what are your what are you what are your long term goals, or well, they might be short term goals? I mean. In, in relation to your your current ranking in the world or your position in the world? You mentioned you, your competitor. Uh, yeah. what, have you got goals for 2019 and, and what races have you got coming up this year?
1: Yeah, um, I think, yeah, I mean, for, well, this year, um, next up will be Mount Solitary Ultra um, and I think it's just over a month's time. Um, and then, yeah, the, I mean, the big race for this year is UTMB for sure um, and I'm, I guess in previous years I've been reluctant to kind of put all my eggs in one basket I guess to kind of say hey, this is this is the race that really counts this year um, but yeah, just I think the experience that I've gained from UTMB the three times that I've been there now and having trained a, a lot on the course um, yeah, I just feel like it's a race that I really want to just give everything and commit everything to it I think... Um, yeah, too many guys and girls basically, yeah, go into their seasons and just you know starting in January maybe at Hong Kong or there's a few races in the US with um, Bandera and a few other races, and it's easy just to, like we were saying earlier, it's easy just to go like race to race to race to race to race, and then all of a sudden in like mid June you're like, oh shit, I've got UTMB coming up in a couple of months, um, and you know, I think to perform at UTMB you've obviously got to have the physical attributes and the training and the conditioning and everything else, but then mentally you've got to be fresh, you know, like there's. Now, like, if you look at the times of UTMB, like, you know, the winning, the winner in, you know, podium spots and top five and top ten are literally coming down to minutes now, and and a lot of that is just literally, yeah, the, the mental capacity of the athlete and whether they can, you know, make good decisions on the go, whether they can force themselves out of an aid station a couple of minutes quicker than what they should be, or, you know, on the climb up to Col du Bonon, whether they can actually go, you know what, like, I should be running this runnable section, or, you know, stuff like that, so... Um, yeah, so I'm not going to be racing much this year. In um, saying that, I will be doing, like, a few pretty, you know, kind of, like, low-key races once we get to Europe and stuff. Um, yeah, I'm running a race in Romania, the Ritizat, um race, which is um, it's just, like, a short kind of 30K race um, in mid-June. Um, and then, yeah, I'll probably pick something, yeah, kind of, like, mid to late July just as a bit of a tune-up. Um, but, it'll, again, it'll be something super low-key. Um, I probably won't tell anyone other than my wife that I'm doing it because I just want to be able to rock up, kind of achieve what I want to achieve at that race and... Um, yeah just sort of lay low I guess a little bit and then kind of you know sneak back into training again and get ready for the big ones so um I guess 2019 is the big goal is UTMB um I think at the moment realistically with UTMB like I'm definitely wanting to obviously crack into the kind of top five um this year like my, I feel like my goal would be podium um as far as long-term goals like i yeah I want to win UTMB one year um I mean it sounds kind of funny sometimes when i say that because i think the other guys that are probably all thinking the same thing and you know the caliber of some of the athletes that are kind of you know wanting to do the same thing but um yeah i just feel like yeah being 32 years old now i just feel like i'm not even scratching the surface of what i'm capable of as an athlete um just through yeah learning more about myself as an athlete um you know training differently training smarter um and just yeah all the experience that you're gaining from every good race that goes really well and then obviously all of the, the shockers that, um, to be honest and all of the bad ones are the ones that make up all of the kind of useful experiences and information because then you can grab stuff from those races and try not to make it happen again kind of thing, you know, like if it was all just smooth sailing all the time it would get pretty boring pretty quickly I think, so um, what, what about
0: um, some of the, the races uh, Western States, Hard Rock yeah, um, sure. Are they appealing?
1: Yeah, definitely, um, yeah if they let me do them I will run them <laughs> Um, Yeah, kind of like everyone else, I guess. I've jumped in the lottery um, a couple of times now for Western and for Hard Rock. Um, And, yeah, it's just one of those things, I guess. Um, I'd love to run Western States. I think it's a race that would play to my strengths pretty well with being, I guess, a hilly 100-miler, but also being a pretty fast 100-miler as well. Um, Obviously, you know, with times in around kind of, you know, 15 hours, you know, for a miler or whatever Jim Walmsley ran last year, 14-something. Um, yeah, so it would be awesome to be able to you know, go to a race like West and, um, and yeah, sort of experience another race. and I guess a different culture as well, racing in the US. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, other races as well, like the Diagonal de Fou on Reunion Island. Um, it's normally around October, I think. And so, yeah, it's a 100 mile with kind of 10,000 vert, but the terrain is just insane. It's just... Um, yeah hundred times more technical than UTMB which is funny because everyone kind of looks at UTMB and goes oh you know it must be so technical and crazy French Alps, you know going around Mont Blanc and yeah I don't want to say it's not technical but it's yeah for I guess for certain athletes it's, yeah, it's definitely not one of the more technical races out there there's a lot of really really fast running and yeah which kind of makes it cool with UTMB because that just makes all the blow ups kind of even more exciting because guys are just running way harder and faster um, and yeah it just makes for pretty exciting racing so um, yeah. And one other one probably as well is the trail running world champs um, would probably be another one that I'd like to, you know, to sort of target one year and, um, you know, re- I think representing your country, um, like I know as a kid growing up in New Zealand, um, you know, most kids probably grow up wanting to be an all black, um, you know, being, you know, five foot eight and 60 kilos, it's probably not going to happen for me, so, um, yeah. <laughs> you, never then, yeah you, you never know. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> maybe, a, maybe a sneaky still job on the wing or something. But, You're still young. But, um, yeah, no, I went to the World Champs um, a couple of years ago representing New Zealand, which was just amazing. Um, unfortunately, didn't have the, the race that I was kind of wanting, but um, I definitely kind of, you know, whet the appetite a wee bit for, yeah, that, it's just another, I guess, another dynamic to racing, racing at a World Champs. Um, yeah, it's just sort of um, it's a slightly different focus, and um, on one hand, a lot more is on the line because you feel like you're representing your country, um, and, yeah, it's just a, another sort of interesting dynamic to kind of throw into the, sp- into the work, so, yeah. yeah cool.
0: I've got another listener question from Marty Rook. He wants to know if um, if you'd be interested in going down to Bright in Victoria. It's a, it's a race in November.
1: Yeah. Bright's beautiful. Four, four Peaks. You heard, you heard yeah, about I it? Didn't then, hear yeah, did not of Four Peaks. You had a few clients doing Four Peaks. Is it, I can't remember off the top of my head, is it Feathertop, Bogong, Mystic, and Hotham? Good. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I've, I did the um, Buffalo Stampede few years ago now, and um, yeah, it was just kind of briefly in that area, um, and yeah, it's just epic, like it's, um, you know, obviously Australia's not the most mountainous country going around, but um, yeah, the Vic Alps are, are stunning, um, I actually, uh, late last year I um, I flew down to Melbourne and then we went up to Falls Creek, um, my uncle did the Alpine Challenge 100 miler, I so he actually flew over from New Zealand to do the Alpine Challenge, um, basically needing to get um, UTMB points and um, so yeah luckily he got the points because obviously yeah they changed the course a fair bit but um, just even from that one trip just cruising around Falls Creek and seeing a bit of the area yeah. was um, oh yeah it's a fantastic kind of spot to hang out I definitely wouldn't mind going there you know at some stage yeah. you know, do a bit of training and stuff it'd be pretty cool yeah nice part of the world yeah yeah definitely so um just, just for the listeners, what's um
0: what's one of the, the most valuable piece of information that Andy gave you when you started running that you can sort of pass on? You know, if there's if there's one piece of information, and there might be a couple that you can pass on to the listeners yeah. that um that you you've, 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 you've learned and been able to to, to put into action. Yeah. What's what's some advice you can pass on?
1: Yeah, I think um I mean, it's, I guess it's the same for a lot of people and a lot of people starting out. And, but to be honest, I think even for the most experienced athlete, it's just um, you know defining what is an easy run and, and what is a session, you know, and having that real clear cut like this is the purpose and the reason I'm doing this session, and then the flow on from that means I can then approach this session how I really need to because um, it's the the old you know I guess saying is you know people running their easy runs too hard and their hard runs too easy, um, and I guess even breaking that down within sessions, whether it's you know hill repeat sessions or tempo sessions or intervals. Um, you know there's no point going into a tempo session you know running your your first tempo effort at 10k pace and then all of a sudden effort number two turns out to be slower than half marathon pace and then by effort three you're lucky if you scrape a marathon pace you know because it's it's not a tempo session how it's intended to kind of be Um, and I think as well just yeah knowing the the differences and the the reasons behind doing you know certain sessions is um is important and yeah I think as well just um you know the, the recovery and the rest between sessions is, is just so important you know like I'm saying to Michelle as well every every week I'm adding in body maintenance body maintenance body maintenance so whether it's foam roller or trigger point or you know adding in some active recovery type stuff um, yeah I think there's you know a lot in that as well with regards to kind of balancing out the training week and especially for endurance athletes as well getting some of that kind of mileage and conditioning via other means whether you know that's on the bike or swimming or on the elliptical trainer or going out for a hike or or something like that it's like just because you're a you know you're a runner or a, an athlete doing these running races you can you know mix up training to you know incorporate different elements elements of training and obviously that you know the different ways of doing that is stressing the body in you know slightly different ways as well so um yeah it's important just to yeah i think have that variation in training with regards to running sessions but also you know other kind of cross training sessions as well
0: Are you doing any strength training yourself
1: <laughs> not enough no, kind of like everyone, and then that's a big part of it as well. And, um, and actually, that's a, uh, something you know Andy's a massive sort of advocate of, and and pushes with a lot of his clients, and obviously online as well. Um, obviously doing strength training, but then you know running specific strength training, um, and that's something that Andy just has a real kind of niche and a real you know kind of um, expertise in the area, I guess, is doing real sort of run specific kind of exercises. Um, you know obviously jumping in the gym and doing some squats and some lunges and some deadlifts and stuff like that or whatever they're going to get you strong into a certain point but you know the more kind of like dynamic and more running kind of related and the i guess the the easier the exercise or movement can translate from a strength exercise to the running kind of exercise or the movement of running um you know you're going to be putting your body through different you know kind of ranges of movement movements and things so then yeah it's going to transfer better from you know basically the gym or at home with dumbbells or whatever to when you're out there on the trails and stuff as well so um, it's almost and for a lot of people it's almost like you're better off taking out that 60 minute run each week and chucking in a you know 30 minute strength and conditioning session because it's just you know the, the stronger you are as an athlete the better you're going to be able to absorb more load you're going to be less injury prone you're just going to basically be building a you know stronger structure to then train off the back of that kind of thing so it's um, definitely an important element that yeah again like I said at the beginning I, I don't do enough of it myself um, definitely getting better um, I don't want to say as I'm getting older because I don't think that's sort of for me but just yeah understanding the, the real value of it um, and so yeah maybe anyone who does have a coach or even if you don't have a coach like if you know you're could do one thing, I guess, to help out your running would be that strength and conditioning side of things, and just um, yeah, do yourself a favour and just you know, because no one likes being injured, and it's you know funny because you know as soon as people get injured, they go to the physio or they you know start doing some exercises because. To go from being injured to not injured you have to do the exercises and the routines and then all of a sudden when you're injury free again the exercises kinda of blow out the back back end and yeah, so it's important just to yeah, keep that continuity of exercises and um, combine them with the training as you're going as well. So
0: some good advice there. What about flexibility, stretching? Um,
1: I my kind of view like some people just say stretching is a waste of your time. Um, Stretching for me, like yeah, I do it because it feels good. You know, like as far as like research and stuff, there's a lot to suggest that you know static stretching is basically doing bugger all kind of thing. Um, so again, if you are kind of doing stretches or, you know, exercising movements, making them more dynamic is going to be a lot better. And even even within like traditional stretches, whether you're stretching out your calves or stretching out your hamstrings or your quads, um, you can do those dynamically, obviously. So um, I just feel like, yeah, putting your muscles through the ranges that they're going to be going through when you're running, obviously, it's just a, a lot more transferable to the end goal, which is obviously running. So Um, But in saying that, like, sometimes when I've got tight calves, I'll lean up against a wall or a tree and stretch my calves the old-fashioned way, and hey, it feels pretty good. Is it doing anything? Maybe not, but it feels good, and, you know, like a lot of things, you know, sometimes like when you put the red T-shirt on, when you go for a run, you feel faster, so it's just, I don't know, it's just one of those things, you know, that's sort of say to people, sometimes people see, you know, online or whatever saying, you know, static stretching is just a waste of your time, don't do it, don't do it, but... Hey, if you can do something that feels good, um, you know, why not kind of thing? Personal. Yeah.
0: Hey um, we might we, we might just finish on one last point. I wanted to ask you if you've got a, a funny story or a funny experience that you can you can share with us from, from any of your, your running
1: yeah. your running events or um, probably Yeah, said the one with Brendan before working out whether I could do solitary or not, that was a that was pretty classic. Um but yeah, the other one, I think, yeah, probably 2016 UTA, um, it was yeah, a really cold year, and actually it was the year we had all my family out here, we had, it um, must have been like 15 of us, and had little cousins little cousins doing the kids race, and um, my mum and my dad actually did the 50k race together, I had two uncles doing the 100k race, and so we are all just kind of gas bagging on the start line, and um, I still had like a massive big down jacket, you know, big beanie on, my gloves and everything. And um, just about had the, you know, 5, 4, 3, 2, one countdown kind of going. I still had this gear on, so I was quickly, yeah, stripping rushing, off, yeah, stripping off, trying to get my race kit on and uh, ready for the race, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, fortunately I made the, the start of the race, but um, I was definitely fighting through the crowds trying to get towards the front. Um, you weren't up the front. Yeah, just wanted to make sure I, had, you know, had a bit of space before we hit further steps because otherwise, yeah, it can get pretty congested down there. So, it was, um, yeah, glad I got the, got the gear off quickly, so, yeah. Classic. Well,
0: thanks very much for um, giving up your time and best of luck with your racing and uh, we're, we're obviously going to follow your progress and there'll be people um, guessing your times uh, for Mount Solitary yeah um, where can the listeners find you or follow you if they if they want to track your progress we, we've already
1: mentioned Mile 27 yeah, if man, they, they want to look out for some coaching yeah definitely Mile 27 for coaching stuff um, just the website or yes scotty at mile27.com.au but otherwise yeah yeah um, predominantly using instagram these days um so if you search for scotty Hawke, hopefully my ugly mug should show up and click on that but um otherwise yeah instagram and facebook are you know sort of the main main sort of areas that i'm on social media sort of things so yeah cool yeah. are you on strava do you, have... do you uh strava? i'm on strava but it's all private unfortunately yeah, yeah. um I, I like strava for what it is but um i've been known to do some stupid things when it comes to strava and for my own training and insanity i keep things private because uh yeah, you can get pretty out of control pretty quickly, so yeah, yeah try yeah, to try yeah. to stop it. Yeah, yeah. Someone gave me
0: a good tip once too. Someone told
1: that. you to go Black Ops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No I'm
0: getting sent back about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's a good tool. Like, and I think as far as yeah, recording segments yeah. and seeing your you know five previous times on a certain climb or a certain run or whatever, I think it's useful for that. But as far as the segments go, it's kind of like what I was saying before about you know easy runs becoming not so easy runs. It's
0: yeah.
1: pretty easy. Like, and I've done the same even in the Blue Mountains here. Like, there's a climb. Um, just out of Blackheath, called the Horse Track, um, kind of near Evans Evans Lookout, and um, yeah, me and another mate basically went had a ding dong battle over a, a few week period, just trying to smash each other, going like that, and yeah, it was it was fun at the time, but maybe not the smartest thing to be doing. So yeah, trying to stay off Strava. Yeah. Hey, um,
0: I asked you before uh, catching up if you liked a beer, and uh, I told you I'd bring you, bring in some samples, so I might get them I might get them out now. I've got some filters for you. Yeah. <laughs> So you obviously like a beer. Do you have a preference of what sort of style? Like, do you like pale ales
1: or...? Oh, I mean, just, I mean, cold and brown's always good. Oh, extra pale ale. I was just going to say, oh, I'm a bit of a fan of IPA. Session um, ale. Jeez, he's looking great. Um, yeah, so... Oh, there we go. <laughs> There's your IPA. IPA. Jeez, that'll go top of the shelf. Have you heard of the filter before? No, I haven't, actually. And the lager. the lager as well.
0: Yeah, cool. So
1: there you go. That's a sample. Oh, look awesome. Expect a full report when you yeah, in. definitely. Maybe not all at once. yeah <laughs> no, no You know, probably,
0: probably won't yourself. make it.
1: Yeah, yeah. that would be my beer consumption for about twelve months, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah.
0: Nice one. Okay, thanks again, Scotty. I really so appreciate yeah. the chat, and I think the cool. listeners will get a lot out of this, uh, this interview. Awesome. Cheers, all. Yes. day Thank See you very Matt. much. Yes. Thanks, thanks, Michelle. <laughs> Failed, failed, Fail. Fail.